morning, or good afternoon, I guess, huh? Uh, boy, 2018, it's almost done. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, okay, so my name is Michael Brown, uh, as Pastor Q, or I call Appa, <laughs> uh, said, yeah, we are here uh, we're missionaries that are sent out from Hope Church. I used to come here um, b- way back and uh, felt very special when I did. Um, and then something happened about four and a half years ago. I realized um, I'm not that special. I came back. I'd flown. Uh, my wife and I had flown for like 11 hours from Hawaii. We had recently had our first child, Eternity, that uh, you guys have all heard about um, from Pastor Q over and over again. And uh, so we arrive, and this is a place I've always felt like very honored, very family, uh, very like home. And, uh, and we come in, we're tired, we're from Hawaii, so it's freezing here at Christmas time. And uh, we show up, it's nighttime, we roll up in, in whoa. In front of uh, Pastor Q's house, the whole family is there. They all come out, we think, to greet us. That's what we think. They come out, they steal the baby, all of them go back in the house and close the door. Anna and I are left in the street in front of the house with all of our bags, the crib, the stroller, we're tired, we're freezing. And I turn to Anna and I say, babe, how long until they realize we're not there and they come back out? Anna looks at me and says, we'll freeze to death first. <laughs> That's when I realized, you know, uh, I was uh, demoted from special to caregiver of the granddaughter. <laughs> Which I'm still okay with. Um, this time coming home was actually really, I had a really great surprise as well. I get home, uh, it's the day after I get here, and uh, Pastor Q and I are talking in his office area of his house, and he randomly says to me, uh, Sue's in town. And I went, oh, cool. Like, I-, I know Sue, not real well, but I know him. For those of you who don't, he's been a key, integral part of this church for a long time, and then went to Gordon, is at, currently at Gordon, is about to to graduate with his MDiv or, yeah, MDiv. So, I, you know, I'm like, oh, that, that's great, you know? And he says, uh, Pastor Q says, yes, uh, I gave him a hundred, a hundred question test uh, to make sure he's learning things in seminary. And I went, <laughs> oh. And uh, I, I literally, I was like, ah, wow, how did he do? And Pastor Q goes, he did good. He passed. Now, this whole time that we're talking, Pastor Q is printing something in his office. <laughs> this is a true story. This happened to me a week ago. He goes, oh, he did good. He passed. He did very well. That's what he says. And I go, wow, nice. Then he turns around and he grabs a stack of papers that he's just printed out. And he goes, here's the test. You need a C to pass. And I went, okay. <laughs> so I proceeded to spend that evening... Sorry, I'm stepping on things. Um, that evening and part of the next day, doing the test, praying, God, let me pass. You know, what will happen if I don't pass? Hope might stop supporting me or they're going to think I'm a fraud. 
So I turn my test in reluctantly the next day. I give it to Pastor Q. I go, here you go. It's been a while. I don't know references that well anymore because I have a smartphone. Siri finds them all for me, you know? Um, so I, I turn it in. He grades my test. And I'm like, how did I do? And he goes, you passed. And I went, oh, yes. And I was like, yes. And then as I'm like, as we're closing this thing up, he just throws this in at the end. He goes, but Sue did much better. <laughs> I said, I don't know where Sue is. We haven't gotten that much time to get to know each other yet, but I don't like you anymore. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, we really are very, very privileged to be here. Um, I, I say this every time, but I, I mean it it with sincerity in my heart, um, as a family, we're grateful for you guys and uh, for the way that you guys stand with us, pray for us. We're humbled that um, that we're prayed for, focused on this month even uh, as missionaries. Um, when Pastor Q asked me to speak a number of weeks back, uh, immediately before we were even off of the phone, I felt the Lord say that uh, he wanted me to share on obedience. And um, we were just praying about it even um, as service started. But um, that I, I believe 2019 is a year for radical obedience and um, of, a, a, of a, 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 a taking action, like a, a revival of taking action in things that God's placed within our hearts. Um, 2018's been the biggest year of transition in my own life, but not just in my own life, uh, in so many people around me in their lives. It's been the biggest year of transition I've ever experienced as an adult, uh, even in the midst of being a missionary and moving different nations. And I, I, God truly, I believe with all my heart, he is, he's doing something new. And I think it's going to I, I really think it's going to spring on us in these next few years to come as the church, the global church. Um, I, I really believe that. And I can't put my finger on exactly what it is going to look like, but uh, it's, it's new and it's significant. Um, and it's for his bride. It's for us. It's for the church. And, um, and I believe that uh, a, a key, key element for us to step into it in its fullness, to not miss out on it, is that we understand obedience. And um, we're, we're going to open um, in uh, the passage here uh, is John 15, 12 through 14. You can follow along. I've got ESV here, but you can follow along or... It's on the screen. So um, I'm going to read it to us, though. It says this, starting in verse 12. This is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Here's the key right here, verse 14. You are my friends if, everybody say if, if, if you do what I command you. Yeah. So let's pray. We're done. No. <laughs> um, that's that's really significant. 
No longer do I call you servants, for servants do not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. So here, here we're going to go back to this though. Here is key this is the key you know in this context jesus is talking about himself that he's about to lay down his life for his friends but who does he say over and over again who does he say are his friends the guys he's talking to he says you are my friends i no longer call you servants i call you friends so he's both He's in this context, he's talking to them. He's saying, listen, love one another. And he goes, there is no one that's greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. I'm going to do that for you. And then you're going to do that for me and for everyone around you, for each other. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I remember there were two stories right at the beginning of when I started missions. I was 18 years old, a little over 14. It's coming up on 15 years ago now. Um, I was 18 years old. I was barely saved. I got saved during my discipleship training school. I was churched my whole life, but I had no relationship with Jesus until I went and did a, a discipleship training school. Um, I, I uh, got saved during the lecture, decided I'll, uh, Jesus can be Lord of my life. And then I went on outreach to Rwanda, Africa. And when I was there, we were having a prayer time, and I felt clearly that the Lord spoke to me that our team was to go to this bus stop in Rwanda that we had been to many times, where there was a, a blind man who uh, was there, we saw him every time, begging. He would beg at this bus stop in Rwanda uh, as blind. And, um, like noticeably, like his eyes were just filmed. There's no dark, you know, they're just, he's blind. Um, and I felt so strongly that I didn't even want to say it. I was like, I felt that we were supposed to go to this bus stop. We were supposed to pray for this man and he would be healed and it would, and then the gospel would, that's what I felt. So we, and so I'm fine. I'm wrestling in our prayer time and I'm like, ooh. And finally I'm like, okay, I'm just going to say this, but I'll just tell you, I don't feel comfortable with it at all. This is what I feel. We're supposed to go to this bus stop. Supposed to pray for this man. I, he's, we all knew, like he begged from us every time, you know, so everybody knew who I was talking about. And, um, and we're supposed to pray for him. I think God wants to heal him. So long story short, we go to the bus stop and through some interesting events, there's a crowd around us. As we pray for this guy, I am so like confident of what's going to happen. I'm shaking and I'm like praying, like praying for this guy. There's a crowd of people around me. You know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happened. The crowd around laughed at us and we went home <laughs> and I went, What? Like, what the heck happened? I was like, oh, it's so, I never want to go back to that bus stop again. Like, go to the bus stop every time. I'm like, get on the bus, you know? And, um, like, nothing happened. Shortly after that, another another time, um, I was in a, a prayer meeting with our staff on the Kona campus. We were praying through some stuff that was... Uh, 
yeah, it was just some serious stuff we needed to look into. And we were doing a time of worship. It was a prolonged time of seeking God. There's music going and a group of probably about this many people, actually. Um, and we're all there. I'm 19 years old. I, I don't know what I'm doing. There's a lot of much more mature leaders. And I have something impressed on my heart that I'm to share, to pray out in the group. I'm just standing in the middle, in the group, loud for everyone to hear. And I'm like, as soon as it hits me, I'm like, yeah, no, like, I don't want to do that. I just don't want to. And so I'm wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. I finally do this. It gets so strong. Again, I'm like, internally, I'm like vibrating. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do this, but I don't want to. And so this is what I say to God. This is what I say. God, if the music stops, I'll pray it out. The music's not stopping. Okay? It's, going for, it's been going for like half hour or more. It's going to go for another hour and a half. Like, it's, it's not, it was a safe. As, on cue, I get done praying that silently in my head, and the worship leader goes like this. I just feel like we're going to stop and take a moment of silence. And it shoo. And it just goes dead silent in the room. And I'm like, this is what happens. I felt like I got stabbed in the gut. I was like, no. Like I said that because I knew it wasn't going to happen. And I was so scared. I literally like opened my mouth like. I'm like. And it, it for literally like a full minute, I'm like, or more. And then do you know what happened? The band started playing again and never said a word. And as soon as the band started playing, this, it was one of, <laughs> it was an awful and very tangible experience. That what was laid on me to share was removed. And I missed it. Both these stories we could look at and say they were failures. <laughs> I have a lot more too. <laughs> a lot of great failures. <laughs> But there's one drastic difference. When I left from that room, when it, when it removed off of me, I left the meeting. I, I was so like, it was so clear that I had missed it, that I couldn't even be in the prayer meeting anymore. I left and I went to this little separate area, this little prayer shack. I got down on my knees. I just started crying. And I was like, I know, no, one will, no one else will ever know. No one in that room will ever know. But it was blatantly clear to me that I had missed it, that I had feared God, feared man more than I had loved God. And no one knew but me and him. The other instance, people were laughing at us. We walked away from that. Totally there was awkwardness. Totally I had questions. Totally. But I, I'm, I'm not making this. I had such a nearness to God. It was like we were friends. The results aren't up to us. But obedience is. Obedience is. There certainly is a level of obedience that everyone can see, like, oh, they're walking in disobedience <laughs> to what God wants. There's, there's that level. But I will say this, within the church, I would say that most goes unnoticed by those around us. The only ones that know are you 
and God. And I'll tell you this, you guys, disobedience, it rots the soul. (laughs) Because we were made for relationship with God. We're made for friendship with him. And he says in no uncertain terms, clearly, you are my friends. If you do what I, what I say, if you, if you follow me, if you do what I command you. Obedience isn't an option if we're going to follow Jesus. And, and here's another thing. There will be times when it is not easy. I, I, I was thinking about this and I went, man, you know, none of us are saved because it was in God's heart to save us. It was in his heart to save us the moment Adam and Eve fell. He promised them before they even left the garden, I'm going to fix this. It was in, it's always been in his heart. You know why we're saved? We're saved because Jesus picked up a cross, walked up Calvary, and died. I believe that God is calling his church to a revival of action. We stand in unprecedented times around the globe. God is on the move in wild ways. (laughs) In wild ways. All over the Muslim world, all over the Hindu world, all over the human secular world. He's wildly and radically on the move. In my work um, in discipleship with people, um, that's what we've been doing primarily based out of Kona, um, training, teaching, discipling. We have people, young leaders living in our home. Um, that, that's, that's what we do. And as we're doing that, um, I've been realizing more and more that there are certain things in many of us I believe um, that sound really spiritual and godly and actually they're just wrong. (laughs) And uh, I'll I'll give you just a couple of, um, couple of examples here. Um, I I keep hearing that, especially in our missions context, I tell our young leaders, I say, Hey, don't promise people this. Okay. Because people come in and then sometimes they go to, we, we end up in places that are, or send people to places that are, they can be dangerous or there's a risk. And, and so people will come and they're like, hey, I'm, I feel scared or I, whatever. And some of our younger leaders are telling them, no, no, no. If God called you there, he'll keep you safe. And I've been, I've been like coaching some of our staff. I said, don't promise them that. Where did you, why? Why do you think that? He'll keep your eternity safe. Not, not your, sorry, not your, I get so confused. Eternity's my daughter. So he'll keep your salvation. <laughs> you okay. I'm struggling. Um, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know where we got that idea. 
If you're obeying God and you're doing what he says, he'll keep you safe. Why, why do you think that? <laughs> I just, like, st- you go, like you just look all through Acts and all you see is a contradiction to that. Stephen is the man full of signs and wonders, filled with the spirit of God, open vision and witnessing about Jesus everywhere he goes fearlessly. He's the man and he's walking in obedience to God. And what happens to him? He gets crushed. He gets smashed to death by rocks. (laughs) Yeah. 11 of the 12 apostles. Apostles include take Judas out, put Paul in, died for their faith. And we use this word that softens it called martyrdom. We're like, yeah. And that that is true. Like there's very real. But <laughs> martyrdom is cold-blooded murder. And for many of them, it was painful. One of them was filleted alive. John's the only one who died of natural causes and church history records that was after they put him into a vat of boiling oil in an attempt to kill him from which he lived. So they kicked him out to an island called Patmos where he lived as an exile and then died. Of course, we got revelation first, which is awesome. (laughs) But it, it just... I don't, I, don't, I don't see it. I, all I see is that our job is to walk in obedience. That's our job. And, and many of us have circumstances or situations. We know we've walked in obedience and we, and we have this expectation of what's going to happen. And then we're like, yes, I'm doing it. And then it goes a different way. And we're like, what? But I obeyed. And I think this, I think heaven's going, yes, you did. Like, this is so awesome. But we get stuck going, but, but I thought it would look different. (laughs) Actually, what we're told is to follow and obey Jesus. And what we're promised is hardship. I know it's a little bit hard for like New Year's, like, yeah, message, but I really feel like it's actually, there is joy in it. There is a deep joy in it. There is a joy in it. I think it's important. I think it's so important for us. Um, what we're promised is hardship and persecution. <laughs> And life forevermore. And friendship with Jesus. Here's a, let, me, let me give us another example here. Uh, I think it ties in. Is, um, we, we've made a curse word in Christianity out of the word striving. I, I see it all the time. I'm like, I'll ask our students in DTS. I'll say, hey, I'm going to say a word. You just respond to me, okay? I'll be like, striving. And most people go like this, ugh, or no, or, you know, like that whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I feel that same thing. But here's the, here's the problem that I'm, I'm having. I, I'm not going to, like, talk with you a, a lot about it, but I'll just read you a couple of Bible verses. Luke 13, strive to enter through the narrow door. So, Jesus said that. Uh, 
Romans 15, I appeal to you. This is Paul to the church in Rome. Brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayer to God on my behalf. One day I hope to be bold enough to come here and say, strive in your prayer for me. <laughs> travail. And I'm going to check in on you too. That's what Paul says. He's like, I'm going to come check on you. How many of you are in travail in prayer this month for me? <laughs> Paul's a bold guy. Okay, strive though. First Corinthians fourteen. So with, uh, so with yourselves, since you are eager uh, for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. One Timothy four. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people. He strives because our hope is set on the living God. Hebrews 4, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. <laughs> so what happened? First, where did we get this idea? Secondly, why is it, why is it important? Why is it dangerous? I would say this, where did it come from? It came from a great heart. And actually a very important message that we then chopped up and just took this piece, don't strive. I think the message came, came, I think, this is what I'm discovering. The message came here. Don't strive for your salvation. That is a true, that is a good word. You cannot earn it. It is by grace that we are saved. You are already chosen, adopted, loved. You are a son or a daughter of a king. Your salvation is safe. Stop trying to earn it. It doesn't even make sense. And yet, if we mess up or things go wrong or something happens, we so often we're like, eh, I need to strive to get that back. And they go, no, it's by grace. It's by grace. But from that place, we're supposed to strive for a whole bunch of stuff. Why is it dangerous? Because I think this idea is, has created um, laziness. It's created this idea that says like, uh, I can't, I'll do, I, I, God is God and he can do whatever he wants. So what I'll do is sit on my couch, play video games. If God wants to do something, he can do it. That was, that was never the idea. That was never the plan. <laughs> We're called to action. We're called to obedience. I mean... Let me give us this last um, give us this last one. I'm going to try and bring it home with this. Um, in, in Revelation chapter two and three, Jesus is directly this is revelation, so it's John on Patmos, the island, having a, a, an encounter with Jesus who's speaking to him and telling him, write all this stuff down. So this is directly. G- glorified Jesus. In fact, John, who refers to himself as the beloved disciple, uh, fall, when, he, when this whole thing starts, he's like, Bleh! and he falls over as though dead. <laughs> he's not like laying his head on Jesus' chest anymore. It's like glorified Jesus, and John's like, I'm dead. 
Okay, so Jesus comes, and this is what he says in, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. This is toward the end. So this would be, you know, somewhere between 60 and 90 AD. So a lot of stuff has happened. Um, Acts 2 has already happened. All of, all of Acts that's written has actually already happened. Um, uh, John's the last one, which means all the other 11 are already dead. So Paul's already gone. Timothy's the one carrying things on. Like all of this has already happened. So everything that we see, like the revival in Ephesus, that's already happened. The, ch- the church of Antioch that sent Paul and Barnabas out, this hub, strong place. It's, it's established. Jesus comes and it's a little, a little, things are just getting going. It's only been, you know, 30 to 60 years since he's died. Right, so so he comes in is a little simpler because he essentially addresses the seven large churches, his bride. He addresses them, each of them, to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Antioch, to the church of. He goes through them all, Laodicea, to these churches. This is what he says: five out of seven of them. The first words that he says are this: "I know your works." Do you know what he doesn't say? I know your heart. He does. He does know their heart. <laughs> but that's not what he says. He says, I know your work to all seven of them. He's addressing how their faith is in action. All seven churches. That's what he's addressing. I know your works. Those are the first words to five of the seven churches. He says this, like John's trying to explain him. He's like, and to the, the Alpha Omega, the one who sits at the right hand and holds the stars, he says this to you, church of Laodicea, I know your works. <laughs> That's the first words. It's important. It's not for the few, it's for the many. Obedience is not for the few, it's for us all. I think sometimes we've minimized our actions so much that when people are living in like horrendous sin or or just total complacency, sometimes the people of God will come and will say to them, it's okay, God knows your heart. Yeah, he does, and it's wicked. You need to repent. <laughs> and, we, and we soften it. It's, can you imagine this? Can you imagine? I, uh, we're coming up on playoff season for football, right? I like watching football. Can you imagine this? Like, you're an, we're an offensive line, right? Because Jesus is always on the offense. He's always taking ground. He's always moving forward. <laughs> So we're the offensive line, right? And I'm here, and you hear like everything's going. I picture ah, the whole world's watching, you know. We're like, <laughs> and you hear everybody say, set, set, blue, blue, set. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like standing here, like, ah. And, and then he goes, hike. And I'm like, no. And I just let the defensive line right through. <laughs> like, ah, oh. And the coach is like, hey, Mike. What was that? I'm like, sorry, I got scared. Coach is like, it's okay, I know your heart. Let's go again. 
Here we go. Play two. Here we go. Set blue, green. And I'm like, <laughs> he's like, hike. No, no, no. Defensive line right through, right? And maybe coach does it once. Like, okay, I, I, I know your heart. Let's keep going, right? Play two. Hike. No. What happened? I got scared. It's okay, buddy. I know your heart. Ready? Hike. No. What happened? I didn't know what to do. Ready? Hike. Oh, look, a butterfly. Sorry, I got distracted. All the while, coaches on the sideline. It's okay, Mike. I know your heart, bud. It's crazy. It's crazy. What's going to happen? I'm going to get benched. I'm going to get benched. Listen, if you're in the game, you, you need to get in the fight. You're going to get hit. And sometimes it's going to hurt. Is it ready? Hike. No, I'm tired. <laughs> Sorry, I was tired. That. Let's go again. <laughs> Sorry, I was tired. I think I'm, I'm not um, certainly not coming with a uh, a rebuke of any kind. I believe that God for 2019. I believe that God wants us to have a revival of taking action, and it is not for a few; it is for the many. As I, I look across here, I look at many different faces. I know <laughs> you were wildly actively in the game but as a whole as a church as a as a family i believe the word for us this morning is this we need to be in the game how do you do that obedience obedience I'm going to give you this last story, um, and then we're going to have a little time of prayer. But I, I, want, you to, I want you to know this. Here's, here's what it looks like. It looks like this. Oftentimes, it will look like this. There is some whisper in your heart. You think, you believe maybe God is speaking to you. Something. But for whatever reason, you keep not taking action. You keep not taking another step toward it. 2019, it's time for steps toward obedience. As I'll never forget this message. I, I, it was when I first started coming here. It was like five years ago. I remember Pastor Q shared this message, and I, I don't. I, I hear a lot of messages, a lot of different places. Few of them stick really stick with me. But he said this. He said he talked about Joseph. He talked about three sets of two dreams changed everything for him. But it wasn't just that he dreamed. It was that he heard God's heart and then knew what to do. Then he said this, Hope Church. I felt the conviction of it. He said, Hope Church, we are called to hear his heart. That's what he said. And I I would like to take that one step further and say, Hope Church, you are called to hear his heart and then take action with what he's saying. 
Because at the end of the day, it will come down to this. Did you live it or did you just know the information and go, yeah, 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 no, I get that. So what are you doing? Ah, I don't really do. I just know. (laughs) We have to do. Amen, we have to do. I'll share this last story with you guys. This year has been wild transition for us. Long story short is that we, Anna and I, we handed off the ministry of Awaken that I've been helping build and lead and run for the last seven years, more than full time. And it was fast when it happened. It felt super fast for me. Literally within three weeks, we went from, I'm the leader of this thing and I'll probably always be the leader of this thing to I'm completely out. And, uh, and God, pretty much, he led um, my wife and I and our best friends, Andrew and Terry, to hand it off to three leaders we've been raising up for the, the last five years before handing it off. We had a leaders gathering the end of January or very beginning of February this year. We handed Awaken off to them. We commissioned them. It was Super Bowl Sunday. I remember that. We came back, watched the Super Bowl. I went to bed. Monday morning, I woke up. I didn't know what to do. Like, dead serious. <laughs> I was like... I don't know what to do. I I remember I went out and I was like pacing in my living room. And then I was like, it's like late. I'm usually on campus by now. Okay, I'm going to go to campus, babe. And she's like, why? And I was like, don't say that. I was like, what do you mean why? That's who I am. You know, like, uh, I was like, I don't know. I I don't know what to do. Like I paced around the campus for a while. It's been a, a year of while. And it created hardship. All we tried to do is obey what God is telling us. And he said, hand it off. And so we did. And then I went, now, now I'm in this void. <laughs> it was awkward and, and uncomfortable to say the least. Then we, we've just, this is the tail end of a four month sabbatical. We've never done any, I've never done anything like it in 14 and a half years in ministry and missions. It's been amazing for our family, but again, challenging as we've sought God for what's next. And to make a long story short, he has guided us in a way that I felt like for years I've had these different things in my heart. I don't know how they fit together. And I feel like I'm beginning to see how God is bringing all these streams together into a headwater. They're coming together. And I was like, I I can't believe that Bible distribution has anything to do with leadership development and business coming to see cities and nations transformed. We were given an opportunity recently to, um, and what we'll be stepping into next year is to be, we're going to be helping with these mass evangelistic campaigns in Myanmar um, because the government changed two and a half years ago. And we, it, it's a long story. I won't get into it, but we're really excited. I was just texting with the, the Burmese American guy. He ran a little uh, house church years back, got found out, fled to um, Kuala Lumpur, and then got asylum. He's been in Texas for the last 12 years. A couple years ago, God spoke to him. He says, you're going to see revival transformation in your nation come to go do dts in kona he's married at this point he has four kids he comes and i'm teaching every friday morning in his class he and i connect and he goes let's do this thing and i'm sitting here and the doors are open from high levels of uh the doors are open wide in the nation because of the change of some government stuff We've, we've, we've hundreds of thousands of Bibles already in the Burmese language committed, paid for. We're mobilizing teams to go distribute those. And I want to see engagement in the Bible. So I'm connecting those who teach the Bible so that they aren't just a doorstop. They're transforming people's lives. 
um, pulling in church planters from Bethel and from little church plants in Colorado and uh, to say, God, we got to see this place transform so that, so that the nation looks like the kingdom. So that at the end of our lives, we bring something to Jesus and go, look, we, we, we wanted to give you this little thing. See your kingdom come in this nation. I want an inheritance. <laughs> Here it is. That's that. That's it. And so we're putting all this stuff together. And April of this year was the first campaign. So the, the model is this. April, we did one campaign. I wasn't a part of it at, at that point. I didn't go at least. Then last month, we did three simultaneous events. When I say we, I mean them. I was on sabbatical. Um, April of next year, we'll do seven simultaneous events. These are all in different cities across the nation. The plan is November of 2019, we will run 14 simultaneous events in all the regions of Myanmar. The last ones have seen thousands come. Many hundreds respond to the gospel, healing, signs, wonders, and miracles breaking out. It's amazing. But I'm sitting there. I'm talking to Sunno Park. Some of you guys know he's involved. And I was talking with him on the phone the other day. And, and I said, Sunno, if we're going to do this, we have to look two years afterward and go, what is the fruit for the kingdom? Not what's the story that I could tell the newsletter. I know I could send a great newsletter back and be like, everybody be like, Wow. But what I want to know is when I'm 85 years old, sitting on a rocking chair, getting ready to go meet Jesus face to face, that there is fruit that remains for the kingdom. So April comes around. So this is a dream of mine. I've dreamt of it my, my, since I started following Jesus, preaching the gospel of the mass. I'll get to preach the gospel of thousands. It's going to be a rush. <laughs> I'm excited and scared. That's part of why I like it. <laughs> I've never done anything quite like that before. But April of this year, and this is my last story. I'll tie it up with this. I, I, um, Doe is the Burmese guy I'm, I was telling you about. His name's Doe. Um, and uh, he goes, and long story short is he gets, he's, he's there early rallying people in all these different villages. He meets this guy clearly of influence in a, a great number of villages. Turns out he's the witch doctor over 10 villages and the drug dealer over these 10 villages. And he's been praying to his demon gods. Um, how do we stop this? Because it's open. They're going to do a mass evangelistic campaign as Christian. Witch doctors don't typically like that. It's bad for business for them because you get saved. They stop going to the witch doctor. Okay. So Doe's like, how do I stop this? His, demons, whatever, tell him, this man is the, the key. He's the linchpin, Doe, which is true. He's the guy connecting everything. He speaks English perfectly and Burmese. He's, he's kind of the key. He's the one that God really gave the prophetic vision to see all this stuff happen and things started moving. He says, you take him out and it will fall apart. So this is what the witch doctor does. Comes dressed real nice, welcoming to them and their team, takes them to his home and poisons Doe. Is talking to him. Wow, this is so great. While Doe's drinking poison tea the whole time. Doe tells him, tomorrow night, I'm preaching. Will you come? He says, oh, yes, yes, I would love to. That's great. He's not going because Doe's going to be dead. This, this is a few months ago this happened. So the next day, he doesn't go, but people in his village go, hey, aren't you coming? That, uh, our, that guy who's our people but American, he's preaching. And the witch doctor goes, what? Because he's poisoned people before, and they all die. 
So he goes, as he goes, this is, this is what Doe told me, who was with face-to-face with this witch doctor. He said he walked in, and what the man said to him, the witch doctor says, he's hit with the power of God. He couldn't stop shaking. It's not an altar call. It's not the time for it. He jumps up from the back, comes running up front, and gets on his knees and says, I need to be saved. Doe's like, that's great. Why? He says, because I, I, I was false with you. I'm actually the witch doctor over this whole 10 villages, this whole area. And yesterday, I know your God is powerful because yesterday I poisoned you. <laughs> As I says to him. So Doe opens his Bible to Mark 16 and it says this, you'll drink deadly poison and it won't harm you. And he shows him, he goes, yes, this is my God and this is what he does. And, uh, and the witch doctor gets saved and delivered right there on the spot. We have videos of him out burning all of his witchcraft stuff. They took what Doe estimates $10,000 worth of marijuana outside the village, burned it all. Just got rid of it. The wind, it was a funny story because they said the wind was going the wrong way. It just blew right through the village. <laughs> So they're like, it's one happy day, and then it was all gone. Um, but, but he t- totally transformed. He got rid of all of his witchcraft stuff. He, he got rid of all of his drugs, this whole thing. And I'm like, it's such an awesome story. But I was hit with this weird sobriety. No, that was my friend. And this sobriety, this realness was this. As we step into these levels of Creating impact for the kingdom. Come on, that's what, that's what I want. That's what we want. There's real opposition. And I remember thinking, that's such an awesome story. And there was this other piece of me, very real, that was going, gosh, you could die. And I remember thinking this. I want to buffer my obedience with comfort and with safety. How can I do that? And the answer is you can't. It's wholehearted, reckless obedience or it's compromise. And I've just been asking God and saying, God, I, I desperately, because something changed. I don't know if it was marriage or kids. Blame my kids. That's what I'll do. <laughs> But something changed. Like, I've been in difficult situations. I, I, I was with Kenneth right before he was put in prison in North Korea, the week before. And I didn't feel afraid. I, I, was, in, I was in southern Sudan in the midst of the LRA attacks. They're killing people with machetes, and then I'm preaching their funerals. And, um, and like, um, it was weird, and it was scary, for sure. But there was some—I was removed from it. Maybe I was just immature, probably. I probably, yeah, I don't know what it was, but today it's different. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to go and stir the pot with these witch doctors that want to poison us. <laughs> like, let's do it through Skype. This <laughs> for my couch. I like my couch. I like my family. I don't like leaving them all the time. going to go back. But you are my friends. You do what I command you. You walk in obedience. And I wanted to end today, maybe if the band could um, come back up, we're going to just have a little time of prayer here. Um, And uh, 
And we're going to do it a little, I'm going to ask something a little different. I'm, it's a little bit selfish, and you know what? I'm okay with it because I leave in a week anyway. And, but I actually wanted to ask, because um, we asked some of the leaders, elders, and those come up and, and pray for different ones. But I'm actually, I want to ask if they would come and pray for Anna and I. Because we want to live in obedience. And, and Hope Church is, you guys are our primary support church. Um, which makes sense because your lead pastor is my father-in-law. So, <laughs> um, But I wanted to ask that they would come and actually pray for us. And babe, do you want to come up actually? And, um, and you guys could pray for us that we would walk in obedience in 2019, that we would be leaders of the way in reckless obedience to God. And, uh, and I did want to in, extend the invitation to anyone who's, sta- who's there, who's going, there has been a whisper in my heart. I think it's God. But I haven't taken steps toward it yet. There's things that I'm like, ah, God, I think he might be saying I should do this or be involved in this or join this ministry or whatever. Talk to this neighbor, whatever it is, whatever that obedience is. And you're going, but I haven't taken steps. I want to invite you to also come and to say, if you're going, God, help me. I want 2019 to be a year of wild, reckless obedience to you. And may we find deep friendship with God as we do what he commands us. It's worth it. Remember this. In just a moment, in just a moment, we will step from this life into eternity. And what you have done in wild, in reckless obedience and love toward God in, on that day when we step there to eternity, your obedience, your love, that wisdom, it will be justified. I want to get there. I want to get there. I want to run hard after Jesus until finally I get there and I see his face. I go, oh, there you are. <laughs> Whew, it was worth it. It was worth it. And like Paul, to be able to say, I ran my race. I like actually did it. I ran my race. Now they're stored up for me. Crown of righteousness. There's those places where you're like, oh, I think God's saying this, but whatever, apathy or fear or the unknown, whatever it is, has kept you back from taking steps toward it. And you're going, 2019 is going to be different. I want to invite you. Come. We'll ask the leaders to pray for you after they pray for us. (laughs) Okay. God bless you guys.